we want to get into this morning, and I, I'm going to give you the warning now, okay? I'm going to ask a question, okay? That way you can be thinking about it now that I'm preparing to ask a question because everybody's like going, you're not supposed to talk. So I would like to be able to have a little bit of input, but we're going to talk about today uh, in, our un- in the Unbroken series that the pastors have been doing, uh, we're talking today about uh, thankfulness and an attitude of thankfulness. Now, of all the years we could look at it, there are some things we can look at it and be thankful, but it's one of those moments where it's like going, what is there to be thankful for? I mean, if we go through this for a moment, each one of us could find something to be thankful for, right? We could, be, we could find something to be thankful for. But let me ask you a question. But is there an attitude of thankfulness that we should have? Theologically, we agree with that, but has it felt that way? Why are we called to be a people, not just to find things to be thankful for, as in, but have an attitude of thankfulness no matter what? Why is that so important for the believer in Christ? What is the implication there? Okay, differentiate ourselves from others. Why? That's good, though. We are called to do that. We are different. So you can see his light shine through us. That's one reason why we have that thankfulness. Okay, so the, the idea of that is that it's one of those moments of being able to point people to Christ as a light. Why, theologically, are we to be a people that are constantly thankful regardless of what's going on? Okay, we deserve death and we get life. Yes, we recognize who we are, what we should be getting. And instead, by God's grace, we are given a gift of salvation far beyond anything we deserve. Yes, it's a light. It's what we don't deserve and we get. Even with Je- emulating even Jesus, who was thankful regardless of what's going on. We emulate our Savior. Yes, yes. I tell you, it's very exciting to hear people talk. I guess you just have to give people a moment, right, to think about it. It's coming, so don't be scared, right? Well, let's think about this also because all these things, yes, think about when we can be thankful. And the reason we're called to have this attitude is this. Who is on the throne? God is on the throne. And to be able to be thankful is saying this, regardless of what it feels or what's going on, you're on the throne and in control. And I can be at peace regardless of how it feels or what it looks like. I can have an attitude of thankfulness because you will not forsake your children. Even when it seems like it, even when it feels like it, you will not forsake your children because you are a good, holy God. This is who you are. You know, I think about this, an attitude of thankfulness. This is something that's been preached by other pastors and theologians throughout the time, but is it a difficult thing at times to obtain? I'm asking a legitimate question. For some, it may not be. You may be like going, no, I have this. For others, what's it like to have an attitude of thankfulness all the time, consistently? It's difficult. It's difficult because, again, we want to base thankfulness based upon what I get or get to do or how it feels. But God's thankfulness is telling us it is based in Him who is unmoving, unchanging. Regardless of what things seem around us, we can have a thankfulness because if He is our God, we have put faith in Jesus Christ. We are able to say, even in the midst of the worst of circumstances, you are in control and you are good. You are good. You are faithful. And regardless of what I'm going through, you are in control. And you have my best interests 
at heart for your glory. Not just for me, but for your glory. But if I am your child, you have my best interest at heart. I can trust you. I can be thankful. I want us to go this morning uh, to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. And as we talk about this today, we go back and we look at Isaiah. Now, during the time of Isaiah, here you have a little bit of the history um, of where you have had uh, the kingdom under David and under Solomon, and then it is split, where you have uh, Israel and then you have Judah. Israel continues disobedience, going after false gods and idolatry, and they are scattered. The Assyrians scatter them. Then you have Judah that has been there, and then all of a sudden you have the Assyrians that have come and have tried to continue to uh, dominate and, and all these beautiful, wonderful, amazing, miraculous stories uh, of how God has continued to fight off the enemy. But then all of a sudden, God has finally warned them time and time again, put away the idolatry, come back to me. Put away the idolatry, come back to me. Put away the idolatry, come back to me. But they choose not to. They, their affection, their allegiance, their worship goes away from Yahweh. And finally, God says, fine, your, your will be done, Judah. This is what you want? Fine, your will be done. And the Babylonians come through the Assyrians and everything, but finally, they're, they're taken. These are the stories where you have Daniel, and now they're in Babylon. The royalty has been taken into Babylon. They've been taken away from their land. Now, in their mind, in the Israelites' mind, here's what they've been promised. God established us. He brought us out of Egypt. Through the midst of all of our enemies that were trying to annihilate us, our God has been victorious every single time. Nothing can beat our God. No one can beat our God. Our God is the greatest. And that's true. 100%. But because of their disobedience, their idolatry, their worship of false gods, God has said, I'm going to let you be taken. So think of this. You hear all these promises of God, but now you are in a foreign land in captivity. And what's rolling through your mind is this. Our God just got beat. Our God was not as strong as Baal or Molech. El. Not str Our God was defeated and we are now captives. We are now what has happened? You could think that their faith would be shaken, possibly broken. But they had forgotten some things. One, they had taken God's promises without obedience. You know what's the most dangerous thing in the world is to claim God's promises, but don't react to Him in relational obedience. That's, again, what I call theological assent. We agree to certain things, but we don't maneuver our lives in conformity with God. The Israelites were claiming only the promises of God without being obedient to who God had called them to be. And they had forgotten that God said this in that covenant, in that particular covenant, I will do this, but your obligation is to do this. In that covenant... I will, be my, I will be your God, you will be my people. If you do this, I will cause you to prosper. There will never be famine in the land. You'll never be. But if you choose to go after these gods, somehow they had forgotten that part of the responsibility. And so here they sit in the middle of a foreign land being conquered. And Isaiah, we go through the first 40 chapters, has through God has warned them time and time again, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. 
No matter what type of prophesying you do or whatever you say, and we see that in the book of Jeremiah where false prophets come out and they begin to talk about how mighty God is. Then all of a sudden it's like, yes, God is mighty. There's, there's no doubt our God is mighty, but you have walked away from him. So what's there to be thankful about? If you are an Israelite in the middle of a foreign land, it seems your God has been defeated. What's there to be thankful about? And here we have Isaiah in chapter 40. All of a sudden, the tone changes in Isaiah 40, whereas the first 40 chapters have been a reminder of the judgment that is coming against them. But we get to Isaiah 40, and it says this. Isaiah 40, 1 through 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Our first point today is be thankful for a God who forgives sin. Be thankful for a God who forgives sin. Now, let's look at this first from the perspective of where Isaiah is talking about it. As he comes in and he says, comfort, comfort, they are totally emotionally wrecked right now for what's going on. I can't imagine if they have watched loved ones being slaughtered and, 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 and countrymen being killed and, and being wiped out, and yet here's this remnant that's been taken into Babylon. Lost their homes, lost every sense of semblance of themselves. And yet God tells them that even in the midst of this most horrible situation that you find yourself in, I'm still in control. And the sins that you have done, the very sins that have caused you to lose everything, not only can I forgive you, but I can also restore you. When we start to think about God's character right now, we all know because we deal with our conscience and we deal with things. We look at times when we blow it and we mess up and a lot of times it weighs heavily upon us, right? Anybody deal with that? With just the weight of just you've messed up and you've blown it? My kids at times will wonder what's going on with me because I'll be like, and they're like, I particularly remember Shiloh. She's like going, Dad, are you okay? Because it's like all of a sudden I'll just go, she's like, are, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And finally one day she was like, what's, what, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm replaying a conversation in my mind of somebody I was talking to, and I said the dumbest thing, and it keeps playing through my mind, and I can't take it back. And I'm thinking, why did you say that? And I'm just like, oh. I've realized a couple things. One, sometimes the things that you have said, most people don't even remember what you said. Two, sometimes people do remember what you said, and it does hurt. Sometimes I've even watched people that have given grace to me when I don't deserve it and have been saying, I forgive you, I understand, it's okay. Yeah, it hurt, and yeah, I wish it hadn't have been said, but it's, it's okay, we're okay. Now, if, if that can happen with imperfect people that can give me grace at times for things I wish I would have never said or things that I have said, what's that say about a perfect God? See, we know right now that if God is holy and perfect, he cannot lower his standard. We deserve to be punished for the things that we do, correct? A holy God cannot wink and sit there and go, ah, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. He can't do it. If he lets something slide and say it's not a big deal, he's not holy. But we know that God is holy one, because he never lowers his standard, but two, we also know that because of Jesus Christ, he takes our penalty of sin. See, here God is telling them, telling the comfort, comfort, 
you have sinned. You have sinned against me in the worst possible ways of idolatry and chasing after foreign gods. Not only do I love you and forgive you, that's the comfort you can take, but I can restore what you have done and restore it by grace into something you don't even deserve. There's a comfort that God gives that he's always been this way. Now, think about this. This is an interesting thing here. It says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's such a strange thing to say, that she has received double. Why would you receive double for your sins? That kind of sounds a little bit unfair, right? We look in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah uh, 14, um, Jeremiah 16, 14 through 18, it says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought the people up the people of Israel out of the north, which is where they're at right now, out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring them back to their own land and I, that I gave their fathers. Behold, I am sending for them many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt for them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rock. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first... I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. Now listen to what he says. But first, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted their land with idols. But why doubly? Again, why doubly? If God is fair and is just, why would he doubly give this sin? If we go to Exodus 22, 7 through 9, and I'll just summarize it. Going back to Exodus, God had set up different laws for the people. Well, one of the laws was this. If you, let's say this, let's say that somebody, um, one of you came to me and say, Sean, I have got to go away uh, on a trip or something, and I am giving you this possession I am giving you this money. I am giving you this thing that is very valuable to me. And I am entrusting you with it to safeguard it while I am gone. Right? Now, do you just walk up and give any random stranger something of yours that's valuable to you and entrust it to them? Who do you give those things to? Best friend, a loved one, somebody that you trust with this that is valuable. You go on your trip. When you come back, I go, oh, it's gone. What do you mean it's gone? It's it's just gone. There's going to have to be more explanation than that, Sean, because it's gone. It's It's not working. If that item or money were lost or stolen, it would be, first of all, did the thief take it? That's not somehow overrode me or overpowered me. Or did I take it? If you couldn't find the thief, if the thief was found out, they'd have to pay doubly for what had happened. But if it was me that had done it, I would have to pay for it doubly. Why? Because it's not just stealing. There is a broken trust relationship in that moment. It wasn't just a thievery thing. It was a broken trust. Have you ever had your trust broken by someone? I guarantee you, every single one of us in here, we would rather lose some of our most valuable possessions than to have a person harm us by breaking trust. Would you agree? If that item given to me and I lied about it and broke somebody's trust, I would have to pay double. Well, here's what happens. Why is God, why is Isaiah telling the people they've paid double for their sins? Because they were entrusted with the law of God and it was good to their benefit to know how to depend upon God, to love Him, to seek after Him and Him alone. 
But what had they done with the law? They had abused it. They had taken it for their own personal, had found ways around it. They would act like they loved God by offering sacrifices and taking care of the the different meals that were there. They would go through all the religious rituals outwardly, but their hearts, they would offer up sacrifices to foreign gods. Murder, sexual immorality, bear false witness of neighbors. Outwardly, they would do all the signs of saying they followed God, but inwardly, their hearts were far from Him. And so at this time period, as they began to, the Israelites began to do this idolatry to foreign gods, and God had warned them time and time again, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. They chose not to. And so they had been taken into Babylon. This is why they had to pay double, because they broke a trust with Yahweh. They had broken a trust with Yahweh. But even though they had broken this trust with Yahweh, he comes back to them. And God says, comfort, comfort my people. Even though you have betrayed me, I will not forsake you. Return to me. Repent and return to me. Repent and return to me. Let me be your only love, your only God, your only worship. Return unto me comfort. Because even what you've been through, I still love you and I'm not done with you. Be thankful for a God who forgives sin. Think about this in your own life. What sin have you committed against God? What sins have you committed against God? Even as I speak in this room this morning, there may be things that even as we've talked about that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You know what? God, you're convicting me because you know what? I talk about following you, but that's really outward stuff. Inwardly, my time is my time. My hobbies are my time. My job is my time. My family's my, it's really not yours. God, I've realized, forgive me because I'm not truly sold out to being obedient and following you in all of my life. You may look at other things that's gone on right now. You may think about past sins and saying this, I have done things that's impossible for God to ever truly love me. I know he loves me, but he can never restore me. I can never be brought back to, to, I'm second class at best. But Isaiah has heard from God and is commuting to to the people, comfort, comfort. There is nowhere you have been, nothing you have done that cannot God restore by his love and grace, not to make you a second-class citizen or a stepchild of God, but a full adopted child of God because he's the one that offers the forgiveness. God, it's not us trying to earn it. God has already given it and has paid for it. Be thankful for a God who forgives sin. a perpetual attitude of thankfulness regardless of where we find ourselves at. As we go on, the second point, be thankful for a God who gives hope in our trials. Be thankful for a God who gives hope in our trials. Listen to Isaiah 43 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah, as he comes, speaking a message to the people, says, comfort, comfort, my people. Comfort. Because even though you have done this, God has not done He is drawing close. Come and repent and come to him. But then he says this. Make straight. Make straight in the desert highway for our God. 
It would seem as if the Babylonians have conquered and won, right? I mean, if you're sitting shackled in foreign territory, I would say you, you look like the loser, right? I would say that if you have lost what sense of power that you have, your strength, and you seem to be at the mercy of these Babylonians, it would seem that you are the uh, loser in everything. But it's interesting that God continues to remind us circumstances do not dictate who we are in God's eyes and where we stand. Things may seem as if it is hopeless, impossible. Things may seem as if all is lost. The only reason why the Babylonians have conquered is because God has allowed them to conquer. And the only reason He has allowed them to conquer is because the Israelites were a little arrogant thinking that they could claim a couple of uh, verses here and there and not truly be obedient to God. If we offer a couple sacrifices here at the Temple Mount, if we, if we do a couple things here, well, that's going to please God and we can do whatever we need to do. And God's like going, I, I, one, I want your heart and two, I told you that what I desired was no longer, I'm disgusted by your sacrifices. What I want you to do is to fight for the widow and to take care of the orphan. What I want you to do is to do justice in the land. What I want you to do is to live as a people that have been given love and grace from a God that don't deserve it and to do those very things in the world. I want you to be a people that when people look, talking to Israel, when they look at Israel, the whole world was able to say at this point in time, Yahweh is above all other gods. But you chose not to do that. You chose not to do that. But a voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley that is down below is going to be lifted up. Every mountain that is high will be brought low. All these things will be made easy for travel. Now think about this for a moment because this is really kind of fascinating. If I understand this to be correct... The Babylonians had a practice of actually making highways for religious festivals. They would make these highways, and on those highways during these religious festivals, they would parade the gods throughout. So they would, I guess, I don't understand it all, trying to understand it. I don't know if they had a cart or whatever they do, but they would create these highways that the idols would be moved through and carted because they would begin to proclaim the mightiness of these gods throughout. So these highways were made. If this is correct in the understanding, this is what I think is beautiful. God is saying this, oh, Babylon, you want to talk about a parade? Let me show you a parade. Everything that's been difficult for my people, I'm going to make it easy for them. And the parade that's going to go through is not a bunch of cast iron idols and everything. It's going to be my people walking back into Jerusalem. You want to see the greatest parade of all time? It will be my people that were in captive and bondage for 70 years in the quickest fall of an empire almost ever, that the paths that we shall make straight will be my people traveling back to Jerusalem, proclaiming that I am the greatest of all gods. I find that beautiful and fascinating that God would take a practice of these pagan nations and flip it on itself to be able to talk about how amazing he is and the paths that are straight, did they make it back to Jerusalem? It's 
Sorry, that I didn't give you enough time to think about that one. I got you. I understand. I got you. I got you. I'm going to ask a question. Did they get to make it back into Jerusalem? Yes, yes they did. And so give a heads up. But think about this, church. God took people that had chosen to be highly disobedient, wickedly opposed to him by chasing after other gods. And yet he goes to them and says, but you are my people, come follow me. What you have done does not take away my love for you. Come follow me. We think about this also when we go into Luke. Does that verse sound familiar? A voice cries in the wilderness. Does that sound familiar in the New Testament? John the Baptist. A voice crying in the wilderness. Make the path straight. What was John the Baptist trying to do at that point in time? What was he making straight? The Pharisees and Sadducees at that point in time had taken which should be clear to understanding of how to come to God, and they had manipulated things of the law. They had made it, and they were teaching that the only way that you can come to God was if you do the things we tell you to do in these certain ways. Make sure you give a tenth of this. Make sure you give a tenth of this. Make sure that you wash your hands before meals. Make sure you do all these religious rituals. Make sure you do it. Well, where is it found in the, in the Old Testament? Where is it found in the law? Well, it's not. We're just telling you this is the most important thing to do. And thus, because it had been taught so many times over and over and over and over, it had kept the people far away from God. Could you imagine right now if we did not have a Bible and trying to figure out what it would mean? How do I get close to God? How do I be obedient to Him? Now, many of us could say, well, if I don't, I, I, have, I don't have my Bible, then, you know, but I've, I've read it enough to where I've, I've, I've hidden the Word in my heart and I've memorized it, and so, so I'd be okay. What about the next generation? What about your children? What about your children's children? What would it look like four generations from now if there were no Bibles? What would the majority look like? I'm not asking about your family. Maybe you would be faithful to transmit it down. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you just focused on making sure you had it and you didn't think about it being passed down. But what would it look like in four or five generations? Yes, even with it, people are twisting it. Absolutely. Without it, Without it what would we do? But even with it, we have it. Absolutely. And that's where John the Baptist comes in. This is where he makes it straight. This is wickedness. You have turned your back on God. Repent and come back to him. Oh, people flocked. The Holy Spirit was working through John, and all of a sudden it was this. That's sin. I have sin. They begin to repent. And they begin to be baptized. Not like the baptism that Christians have, but they begin to be baptized in this idea of repentance, of being prepared for Jesus' ministry coming forth. Make straight the paths. Even in the midst of people not having the true message there and it being perverted, God was still with the people in their trials, even sending John the Baptist to make things right. You and I have trials right now. Amen? Boy, that may be one of the loudest amens we've had. Right there? Right now? But here's a reminder. Even in the midst of this, God has not left you. God has not left me. Even in the midst of this, why are we called to be thankful? Because in the midst of your trials, God absolutely loves you. If you are a Christian, if you are a person that has put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is not against you, he is for you. Discipline you, you better believe it. But leave you, never. Forsake you, not gonna happen. 
Discipline you? Yes. Chastise you to return back? Absolutely. But he has not left you and will not leave you. And we are called to turn to him. If you are not a follower of Christ, here's the crazy thing. God, even in this moment, is still even working all these trials that you are going through in order to recognize your need for a God for the forgiveness of your sins, for a desperate need and relationship to him. Be thankful for a God who gives hope in our trials. Three, be thankful for a God who gives us a sure foundation. His word stands forever. Listen to this in verse six. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let me read this again. Listen, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. It seems as if the Babylonians... are a force that cannot be fought against. It's not possible. It's too strong. And yet from the time that they conquer Jerusalem till the time that they come back is 70 years. That's crazy to think about how quick that that turns around. It doesn't sound like it, but that's unbelievably quick for an empire to fall like that. Not only that, but when the Babylonians fell and the Persians and the Medes took over, the Persians and the Medes actually helped to rebuild Jerusalem, which I think is crazy. That God would take even those that had been conquered, conquer them, and then find an ally to an extent for them, for the Israelites. Church, There are situations and people that in our in our lives that we think, how 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 can I stand up to them? How can I stand against them? I, I have there's not there's no way there's none. You can't do anything. It's powerless. It's hopeless. Maybe you run into people that are amazing in your life. They've been stalwart faithful Christians, people that have loved you, people that have poured into you, and you're like going, oh, they have meant so much to me. They have changed my life. But whether people have been in positions of power to harm, or whether people have been there to love and support, no matter what, everyone passes. Everyone moves on. Everyone goes. when we put our hope in the circumstances of evil men and women, or we put our hope in those people that are godly to be our sure foundation, we've missed the whole point. It is not them that stands. It is the word of the Lord. It is His promises that we stand upon. We should be thankful for those people that have poured into our life because nobody... Nobody made themselves. I've had this conversation with people and are like, I had somebody say, it's like going, I've earned everything for myself. I was like, no, you haven't. It's like somebody changed your diaper. They did, right? Somebody fed you at some point in time when you couldn't. Nobody's out here. Nobody has made themselves. Zero. You are here today because you were dependent on somebody at some point in time. And you need to be thankful, regardless of who that person was, with good intentions or evil intentions, you're here today. 
You exist because care was given to you. True? But we sometimes focus too much on people and not enough on the promises that God gives us. Because when we do that, the reason why you can't be thankful and the reason why I can't be thankful is because it is resting on the wrong thing. If you rested on evil people, you can't be thankful because these evil people, I just complain about them. It's horrible. Worst thing ever. They're this, they're that. Ah, ah, Instead of this, God, for whatever reason, they're there. One, I'm going to pray that you would do something in their life. Two, what would you have me do to be obedient to you? Three, it will not be this way forever. So God, I can, you are in control. Because even if I'm gone, to de- you're still on your throne. Or this. This person gave me so much. They invested so much in my life. They did this. But now they're gone. Grieving is healthy and it is a good thing that God has given us tears to be able to grieve those that we love. But if we rest our hope in them, when they're gone, our life, we lose our way. It's not meant to be that way. We are meant to be a people that recognizes this. Why can I trust what's going on? Because God, if he is my God, has made promises to me and his word endures forever. Forever. At some point in time, I'm going to get to see some of my godly grandparents. I'm going to be thankful to get to see them one day, but right now I don't, I don't get to see them. One day, I'm going to see them again. We will be reunited forever because they're followers of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. We'll, we'll be together forever. You know, the one thing that will never leave me, God himself. Beginning of my birth, when I wasn't aware of it, God was with me. Before I was ever formed in the womb, God knew me. God had plans for me. If I die Death is not the victor. Even in the midst of dying, guess who is with me holding my hand all the way through? God is. And guess who will be there when I enter into heaven for all of eternity? Who's going to be not only welcoming me, but ushering me in? God. And why can I believe that? Because his promises are true. His word is there. Be thankful for a God who gives us a sure foundation. His word stands forever. Church, when we seek after God in his word, we find great hope. And here's the beautiful thing about it. I have had several doubts throughout my walk with God. Questions at times that I just do not understand. Things about God that make no sense to me. And I don't know why God has made me this way, but I am so thankful that through the difficulties He has shaped and formed within me the ability to constantly ask questions. There have been times when I have looked at things and I'm like going, that makes no sense, God. Zero. I could have been scared to ask the question, but for whatever reason, God has put it within me to not be scared to ask any question. And when you ask questions, the scary thing is that sometimes it seems that you're putting God on trial. But here's the beauty of what I've realized. Every time that I've had a question that I'm like going, God, this makes no sense, zero, and I do not understand And it almost seems like you contradict even what you say in your word. God, I want to know truth. And so you you look like you've contradicted your word. I've had some blunt conversations with God. I'm so thankful that he's patient and just struck me dead. (laughs) I'm thankful he's had a lot, a lot of grace. But you know what I have found in this beautiful moment when I've asked those questions? 
he's been able to show me. I didn't contradict myself. You just didn't understand. Now, for this, Sean, I'm going to take you into it and show you why it's not contradicting. So guess what I find out? He didn't. Then I have another question. I'll be like, well, what about this? And as I go through it and I look, I'm not scared to find the answer, even if it doesn't seem right. You know what I find? He's faithful. Then I go to the next question and I look at this and I say, God, this doesn't make sense. And I start to look at it and I don't have a clue and never will. You know why? Because God's not gonna show me everything because I'm not God. I will never become him. I'll never get all my answers, but here's what I know. Every time I've put this to the test, time and time again, he shows me that he is faithful. And the things that I don't understand, here's what I know. There's a track record God showed me. I may not understand it all, but he's not been wrong one time. Not one time. When we put a foundation of hope on God's promises, on his word, we have this moment, he will never leave. People, whether good or bad, whatever situation they're in, they are going to fade. I am going to fade, but God's word never fades. Why can I be thankful? Because he will never leave me. The word, God's word, is always with me and I can put trust in it. And then this fourth point, be thankful for a God who shepherds his people. Listen to this beautiful point, starting in verse nine. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Here is this beautiful moment. Why have they suffered? Now I'm asking a legitimate question. Why have the Israelites suffered at the hands of the Babylonians? Because of their sin, right? Any other reason? Nope. Why have they suffered? Because they made choices to go and stand against God. No other reason. Now, we know at times that there is suffering that happens in this world because we live in a fallen world. Sure, exactly. Exactly. You have these different sins. But we know these specific sins here. Not all sins at all points in time. We know this here at this point in time. The reason why they are suffering, they have made a choice to reject God. They have made a choice to practice religion outwardly, but inwardly their hearts are far from God. They have made this choice. And so this, in this particular moment, is why they suffer. And yet here, in the midst of their suffering, God speaks through Isaiah, comfort. You have paid double for your sins because you have broken trust with me. But comfort, because I am not done yet, because I love you. I draw near to you. I draw near to you. I will bring you out of this. I will comfort. I will parade you before the world and bring you home. You can trust me because I am who I am and I do not change. When the Israelites were in Egypt, they were not there because of their sins. They had gone there in the midst of a famine. They had grown up as a population. And then they had been in bondage to the Egyptians that held them as slaves. And even though the Egyptians seemed powerful, they were not more powerful than God. Who brought them out of bondage and brought them out of slavery. Chose them and loved them through it. Even in the midst of their disobedience. Even in the midst of... But he still brought them 
to the promised land. Now, there were individuals that lost their lives because they did not trust Yahweh. But God brought His people to the promised land. And in the midst of it, He was a provider and He was generous. How do you feed that many people in the midst of a desert? I mean, it's bad enough when it used to be that if you were going to go to a place and restaurant to eat and you pulled up and you're about ready to go in that restaurant and two buses pull up to that restaurant, what are you doing? You ain't going, right? Because if you can't feed 100 people in less than five hours, there's no way. Well, how do you feed a million some odd people in the midst of a desert where there is no Cracker Barrel, there is no Burger King, there is no Walmart, there is no... How do you... But how did God provide? He gave manna. He rained it down. And he did that because of who he is. He is a good shepherd. This is who God is. He is a good shepherd. Whenever we look at God, who is he ultimately? Because that determines what we do and how we function. I remember one point in time, my mother having to discipline me. My mother always did a couple things that frustrated me to death as a child. I would get in trouble. My mother would look at me and she would say this. Go to your room. And as a child, I hated that because that just meant I was going to have to worry about what the next step was. So I was like, let's just get this over with. I would beg my mother in tears, please, just whatever it is, let's do it. And I thought that this was part of her punishment. Wait. This was not time out to go think about what you did. This was, wait. And I hated it. So I would go and sit in my room and I would just be panicking because, oh. But then 20 minutes later, 15 minutes later, whatever it took, then she would come in. Why do you, I, I realize this now. Why did my mother say, go to your room? Why did she make me wait? Anybody know? So she could calm down. You know why? Because my mother... My mother is an amazing godly woman, but I think she could have murdered me at times. I think in the midst of rage, she could have killed me. There it is. My mom with a bunch of numbers in the midst of it, taking her shots because she killed me. Because I know at times that I absolutely frustrated her to no end. But my mother, as an imperfect woman, would still say, go to your room. I'm going to calm down. Discipline would be administered. But I remember several times that after that happened, the first thing I would do is I would actually turn to my mom in the midst of tears and I would hug her. And she would hug me. Now, why would you do that, being disciplined? Why would you go to the disciplinarian and hug them? Why? You still want to feel loved by them. Make sure that you are loved, but I love her. But, okay, an emotional feel to soften the senses. Well, I'll say this. I agree, yes. I went to her because I knew that she did love me. I wanted to make sure the relationship was good. I wanted to make sure that everything, that I wanted to know that I could love, and she, but I would have never hugged her if I thought that she hated me. I may have wanted her to love me, but I wouldn't have turned to hug her if I thought that was going to be. Church, 
There are moments we go through things, and if we interpret God as the mean, cruel, angry God that could care less about us, you have misinterpreted who He is. The reason why we can trust His promises is because of this. He is the good shepherd. He is faithful. His character in who He is is one that chooses to love us. Is He a disciplinarian? You better believe it. But why does He discipline us? Because He loves us. Why do we go through the midst of difficult times? Why do we go through the midst of difficult things? Because when the pressure is on, you find out who you are in Christ. I love Jesus. I love him. I love him. I love people and I love Jesus. I love him. Then the pressure comes on. Right? You can say you love people until all of a sudden they do something that makes you not be want to love them. That's only you. Right? Oh, that's only me. I know it. You're right. I appreciate you pointing that out today. I know that's only me. I appreciate you all letting me confess up here today, right? Right? Because here's what I have found. When that gets applied... There are people that my first, and I, this is going to sound horrible, I'll just be honest. There are people that I would rather hate and put up a wall and stand against because of what has been done to me. I'm just going to be honest. There are, I would rather be enraged over people and either stand against them or inflict pain on them for what they have done to me. That is my natural response. Something has changed in my life, and his name is Jesus. He has come into my life, and as an enemy of God, he has chosen to make me a child of his and adopt me and love me and make me fully his. He has done a work and continues to do a work in my life where there's people that I would rather hate out of how I feel and instead make a choice because of what God has done in my life to love people the way that God has loved me. And even when I don't feel like it, it doesn't matter how I feel, God chose to love me. I want to choose to love others because of how much he has loved me. Why? Because he is the good shepherd. The things that you're looking at through the lens right now, do you view God as a friend a cruel dictator, distant God, how you view him is going to be how you function in your life. But if we take him for who he says he is, the good shepherd, the father who loves his children, then I recognize in this moment, why can I be thankful at any point in time and all the time? COVID, politics, family, crazy stuff going on. Why can I have an attitude of thankfulness and even have that and project that as I go? You know why? Because he is who he says he is. He is a God that loves me. He is a good shepherd. He is a loving father, everlasting. And even though I have been so far away, he has never been far away from me and draws me back home. This is who he is. This is why the Israelites could in this moment, even in the midst of captivity of Babylon, all of a sudden be thankful because their God had not been defeated. God had allowed them to be disciplined, but he was not done with them because he loved them and was going to send them in the greatest parade of all time to the rest of the world to show Yahweh is unstoppable. My question to you today is this. Do you know him? In relationship, do you know God? You know God only through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That your sins would be forgiven because that's what stands between you and God in relationship. But Jesus has paid for those sins. And those that put their faith in Jesus can have this unbelievable relationship with the Good Shepherd, the everlasting Father who loves you, that is for you. But The other thing is this, Christian... Follower of Christ, are you finding just some things to be thankful for or do you have an attitude of thankfulness for a God that will not leave you, that is in control of all the circumstances and that you have the opportunity in relationship? God, I do trust you. Yes, I grieve. Yes, I hurt. But I am thankful regardless of what's going on because you are for me. Amen?
We're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to close in prayer today. There's a couple announcements that Pastor Jacob is going to make and make sure that we're aware of. Here's what I want us to do today. I know it's going to sound strange. I don't want us to sing a song going out of here. What does it look like when you get in the car and practice an attitude of thankfulness going home? What does it look like tomorrow when it's Monday that I'm thankful that God is in control of a Monday? What does it look like as I know the holidays are approaching? For some people, it is wonderful. For other people, it's going to be depressing. How do I have an attitude of thankfulness in this moment? How do I practice an attitude of thankfulness? Not by singing a song or walking into a building to worship, but actually practicing worship, an attitude of thankfulness as I walk out. Is that good? That's the altar call today. If you need to talk about a relationship with Jesus, Pastor Jacob is here. If I can talk with you, I'd love to do that. Make sure that you know Jesus, but the biggest thing is this. Let's live out the faith instead of just have it for a moment. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we thank you for how good you are. We are thankful for your word. Father, because as we read it, as we put it to the test, the amazing thing is this. You live up to your word because it is who you say that you are. Father, we pray today that we would be a people that would not just find things to be thankful for, but would be in an attitude of thankfulness. If you are our God, Lord, then let us be thankful to have this beautiful, trusting relationship with you, to be at peace and to find peace, but also, Lord God, to be a light to this world, that when people look at us in the midst of a COVID land, in the midst of all the craziness, Lord, that we're able to project, regardless of my circumstances, my God is in control and loves me. Do you know him? Father, we thank you for how faithful you are to us, how good you are to us. Lord, the only way we can ever be who we are called to be is not to be better Christians, but Lord, to be more dependent on you and to trust that you are doing a work with us as we surrender to you, submit to you, and follow and trust completely upon you. Do your will in us. We love you and we praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.